0: We look forward to Dave's continuation of his series on leadership tonight. Great to see Paul, April, and Tia with us this morning. Paul knows that even five minutes before time to preach, if he's ready to preach and feels like it on any given Sunday morning that the pulpit is open and ready for his preaching and we hope that will be soon and often. Good to see them this morning. This is the fifth lesson in this series on the purpose of preaching. This series is based on Acts chapter 2 and that should not be surprising because as well we know, Acts 2 is the sermon that inaugurated New Testament Christianity in the world. It's the sermon that allowed the world to witness the fulfillment of what Jesus said was coming. I will build my church. And that sermon on Pentecost of Acts 2, the purpose is so beautifully and perfectly fulfilled that when some 3,000 raised the question, what must we do, the answer given, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins, some 3,000 rendered obedience to it, and the Lord added the saved to the church. And that's what has happened for the past 2,000 years as the gospel has been preached around the world, is yet being preached, and honest hearts upon hearing it render obedience to it, and the Lord does what He did two millenniums ago. He adds them to the church that Jesus said, I will build. In view of the drought of proper preaching, biblical preaching, Bible centered preaching, scripture filled preaching that characterizes many of the pulpits today, it's obvious that many of our preachers need to go back and reread and restudy Acts chapter 2 and learn how to preach, learn what the purpose of preaching is. And the purpose of preaching is not to tell unending jokes. In a congregation not too far from here, a preacher was employed by the church and a young couple reared by members of the church who had been under biblical preaching all of their life was attending this congregation, when they heard the same joke, within two weeks of this man's preaching they said, we need to find somewhere else to worship God. The purpose of preaching is not to tell endless jokes. It is not to tell an endless stream of human experiences. It is not to quote from the theologians. It's not to sit at the feet of philosophers and then fill the pulpit with endless philosophical waste of time subject matter. It is not to quote poetry. It is not to entertain. It is not to set the audience on the rails of unending Emotion. Acts 2 sets forth the purposes of preaching. And as gospel preachers, we would do well to look at the kind of preaching that Peter did on Pentecost of Acts 2, because this was an inspired sermon. They were filled, as Jesus promised, with the Holy Spirit and everything in this sermon was inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. And what kind of preaching was that? What kind of preaching did the Holy Spirit do through the apostle Peter and these other apostles? The purpose of preaching is to make known the Scriptures. Is that not what Peter did on the day of Pentecost? Of course it is, because that's what the Holy Spirit told him to do. There are 25 verses in this sermon recorded in Acts 2. Many other things Peter said in order to encourage them to obey the gospel. But as far as the record is concerned, the gist of this sermon consisted of 25 verses, and one-half Twelve of those verses constituted verbatim quotations from the Old Testament, which leads to point two, as we concluded last Sunday. The purpose of preaching is to make the mind prepared to receive the truth. This is a twin brother of the first point, and this is where the Old Testament especially comes in. Because the Old Testament is an attitude developer. It prepares the man for the reception of the truths of the New Testament. An individual is ill equipped in his mind and heart to openly embrace without endless BUTs and uh, argumentative statements in regard to the thou shalt and thou shalt nots, the commands the demands, the prohibitions, the restraints, the restrictions of the New Testament if he has not attended the university of the Old Testament. And Paul makes this point in Romans 15, 4, for whatsoever things were written aforetime, were written for our learning. Christianity involves the mind. Patriarchy involved the mind. The Mosaic age involved the mind. Thou shall love the Lord thy heart with all thy mind. Every aspect of thy being. It starts with the mind. It ends with the mind. And in between, proper emotions are developed that conform to what one has been taught. And these emotions then are family members of the mental framework that's been formed, developed, prepared by the Old Testament. In 1 Corinthians 5, 1 to 12, we have a classic example of this. Five Old Testament examples are given. And twice the text states, now, What's the purpose of these things? What's the purpose of my reminding you of what occurred back there? These things were examples that we might learn something and not make the same mistakes those people of old made. Don't tempt God like they did. Don't lust like they did. Don't commit fornication like they did. Don't do those things they did back there that ruined their life, ruined the nation, and drowned them. In sin followed by captivity. Let the old testament, Paul is say, prepare your minds for the reception of the truth. And never forget that a man needs to take heed lest he fall. <laughs> the Old Testament is an attitude developer, it prepares the mind for the reception of the New Testament. And that's exactly what Peter did on Pentecost of Acts 2. Have the sermon constitute verbatim quotes (coughs) from the Old Testament. He quoted from two great prophets. In today's environment, which is sad indeed, Over two centuries constitute the age of this country. And we have descended into moral depravity, religious foolishness, and all the kinds of sins and problems that grow out of it. The preaching of the prophets makes great preaching for the church today and the American audience. The tragedy is over half the church wouldn't give the time of day to the preaching of the prophets. And some of our more conservative churches are not too interested in the preaching of the prophets either. And the whole denominational world around us could not care less, if they could they would, for the preaching that the prophets did. But Peter quoted from two prophets, the prophet Joel and the prophet David. And thank you, Brad. And as a result of that book, chapter, and verse preaching, rooted in the Old Testament, those Old Testament quotations prepared the mind of that audience, at least 3,000, for the reception of the truth. The chaos and confusion that commenced that occasion of Acts 2 was not going to be solved by the simple point of, it's just 9 o'clock in the morning, these people are not drunk. We are not under the influence of alcohol. It's just 9 o'clock in the morning. People don't start drinking, generally speaking, unless they have a drinking problem, That early in the morning, they're preparing for the work day. That was good, but that was not sufficient. He had to quote from a prophet, Joel, verbatim, Joel 2, 28-32. That solved the problem. That erased the confusion. That prepared the minds of those people for the reception of this first gospel sermon in the name of the resurrected Christ under the Great Commission as an accomplished fact. They were ready now to Listen. And they didn't argue with the death and the burial. They knew they had killed this man of whom Peter and the apostles was preaching. But when he said, He's been raised from the dead, they were not ready to receive that truth. Their minds were not prepared to receive that truth. They would have argued at that point if the sermon had ceased at that point. And so, Peter quoted from the Old Testament. He quoted from another prophet. He quoted from David. And several statements there. And then he talked about David relative to his person and said, Now, David was not talking about himself because you can see his grave is right here in our presence. His body's in the cold earth. He was talking about the one of whom. I am speaking Jesus Christ, the son of God for whose blood you clamored. It was Jesus whom God raised from the dead and his quotations from David proved it. They might have wanted to argue with David. I mean with Peter and those other apostles, but they were not going to argue with David's inspired preached by the Holy spirit quotations from David from the old Testament. No wonder they were ready, 3,000, to receive the Gospel. The Old Testament is a mind developer. Oh, what a mistake many of the elders in the church and many of the preachers in our pulpits have made by not filling the minds of the audience over whom they serve as elders and from whose pulpit the preacher preaches with Genesis 1, 1 to Malachi 4, verse 6. No wonder they're having so many problems with some of their own members developing strange thinking because their minds have not been fully saturated and permeated with the thus saith God's in the 39 books of the Old Testament. Number three, the purpose of preaching is to disturb the audience. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Who are these people? You men of Israel hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, A man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, which ye yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and have crucified and slain, Acts 2, 22, and 23. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know it surely that God hath made this same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Who were the people in this audience? The very ones who had clamored for let his blood be on us and on our children. They had murdered the Son of God. They had shed His blood, believing He was a fake and a fraud and a deceiver. And in the course of this sermon, they were convinced by quoting from the Old Testament, this mind developer and preparer, that Jesus was the object of all of those great prophecies back there. He was the object of that great gospel sermon that Isaiah preached in Isaiah 53. He was the object of the book of Leviticus. If we want to view any book in the Old Testament as a gospel sermon from the standpoint of the book as a whole, that's the book of Leviticus. Consequently, their minds went back to all or many of those prophecies and verses they had misunderstood, misapplied, missed altogether. Just like the Apostle Paul had prior to seeing those prophecies and verses in their proper light. They were convinced based on this gospel preaching that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. There are many sermons that Peter could have preached that would not have disturbed anyone in that audience, would not have upset a single person, would not have offended a single person. He could have taken his text from Isaiah 45, 18, For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God Himself that formed the earth and made it, He hath established it, He created it not in vain, He formed it to be inhabited, I am the Lord, and there is none else And then said, I'm going to preach this sermon about the oneness and exclusiveness of in the beginning God, that God, the only God. And proceeded to preach a marvelous sermon about the oneness of God. Like was preached in Acts 17 by Paul. God that made the worlds and everything in it. Oh, those Jews. These were devout Jews out of every nation under heaven. Acts 2, 5. And they would have thoroughly enjoyed that sermon on the oneness of God. He could have preached a Panama-like series of sermons on the life of Abraham. Starting like God often did with Genesis chapter 12. And then close with that monumental act of faith in Genesis 22. They would have been thrilled to hear a great sermon on Abraham their father. They were constantly talking about Abraham as their father and had a wrong attitude, more concerned about the flesh of Abraham than the faith of Abraham, which caused many of those Jews never to be able to see the truth. They were blind by their own failure to see Abraham in his true light. But that audience in Acts 2, those 3,000 in particular, And no doubt many others would have thrilled at a sermon on Abraham. Delivered from Egypt, he could have said, I'm going to take my text from Exodus 9 verse 16, which speaks of Pharaoh and says, And in every deed for this cause have I raised thee up, for to show in thee my power, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Not only did God raise Pharaoh up and put him on the throne, but he stirred him up by the demands that he made on his life so that he might declare his name. What does it mean to declare the name of God, the nature of God, the gospel that goes out of the nature of God? What did the world need to see? They were enmeshed in idolatry. They were bowing down to the works of their own hands, deaf, blind, dumb, idols. They needed to see in the beginning, God, revelation, revelation, And then the confirmation of it in the rest of that chapter, in the beginning God created. They needed to see that God. And that God was manifested throughout all the earth in what God did in Egypt. To declare my name throughout all the earth, to preach the gospel of the oneness of God, The scheme of redemption that started with Genesis 3.15 and 12.3, wherein the idolatrous world needed to attach themselves to this channel of redemption that culminated in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They would have thrilled as Peter went back to their deliverance from Egypt and carried their minds down through the centuries as God worked through this Jewish channel to make the seed of woman and the seed of Abraham a reality in the world. He could have said, I'm going to preach a great sermon on the providence of God. And I'm going to base it on the book of Esther. And the title of this sermon is going to be Redemption Unthwarted. And it's going to show how that it was God's will from Genesis 3 6 onward to reach Calvary with the seed of Roman, Genesis 3.15, and the seed of Abraham, Genesis 12.3. In that seed, Jesus Christ, who through his death, burial, and resurrection will solve the problem that started in Genesis 3 6. Oh, would they have not been thrilled with that sermon? Why, to this day, the Jews celebrate every year what occurred in the book of Esther. Divine victory over Haman, the preservation of the Jewish race. And tragically, sad above sad, those very Jews this day in being thrilled by the book of Esther are not thrilled by the consummation of redemption toward which the book of Esther points in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the, it is finished of John nineteen thirty. And the true Messiah, Jesus Christ, hanging in the throes of death on a cross of wood, Lord in a tomb, and on the following early Sunday morning, was raised from the dead, and now sits at the right hand of God, ruling over all that is, until the clock of time shall ring its last ring. Time will end. Eternity will be ushered in. And uh, these Jews will finally realize if they are yet alive when that event occurs, that the event they celebrated year by year they missed the whole point of the book and the event. The purpose of preaching, as we will continue next Sunday, is to disturb the audience. Your present never obeyed the gospel. We encourage you by faith, repent of your sins, confess Christ, be baptized into Christ. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. If you've done that in straight away, just need the prayers of the church. We hope you'll come even now as we stand and sing.
1: To linger, charm the Things that are higher, things that are nobler, these have allured my side. I will hasten to him, hasten so glad and greatest, highest, I will come to Thee. I am resolved to go to the Savior, leaving my sin and strife. He is the true one, He is the just one. He hath the words of life. I will hasten to him, hasten so glad and free. Jesus, greatest, highest, I will come to thee. I am resolved to enter the kingdom, leaving the paths of sin. Friends may oppose me, foes may beset me, still will I enter in. I will hasten to him, hasten so glad.